All right, gang, welcome back. Hour two underway. I'm going to get right to it, get to the Wester Hotline, because football outsiders, Mike Tanier joins me on our Wester Hotline. He's going to uh, help preview their new Football Outsiders Almanac, which uh, if you haven't checked it out yet or haven't seen it or haven't previously checked it out, uh, you should do so. Mike, uh, c- congratulations on getting this all done. I'm sure it was months and months of work, or at least at least a little bit of work on your end. So I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, looking forward to previewing it with you. Uh, but overall, we've got about a week till training camp starts. Uh, did you get enough summer in? Did you get enough free time in away from football? Because I feel like when we get to this point, I'm always thinking about the things I should have done this summer, and now I can't because football season's here and my life is, is effectively over. Well, well, did I read right? Is this your last Saturday show before camp opens? That's right. Camp opens for the rookies, I guess, next Saturday yep. in Buffalo. Yep. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. What's happening is uh, we have a family vacation to Europe, the first time we've gone anywhere but Ocean City, New Jersey, in several years. Um, and, and so I do have that looking forward. But like when I hear things like that, I'm in exactly the same space you are. It's like, why didn't I go fishing more? <laughs> why didn't I go to the beach more? Why didn't I do this more? I'm going to be like watching TV on Saturday night, on Sunday night, being like, I got to watch TV on Sunday night because I won't be able to do that in September. So, so there is a little bit of uh, of a panic this time of year. And in case my girlfriend's driving in the car listening to the station, I really wish I would have spent more time with my girlfriend and didn't golf so much this summer. <laughs> Hope you're hearing that, honey. You so so you went golfing. I, I see how it is. <laughs> okay, okay. So you have you have no, nothing to complain about. No, no, no. I I, I got too much golfing. Um, okay. but uh, yeah, you know, I'm not really a beach goer um any longer because I have this. Uh, because of golf, Mike, I have one of the worst hands um, in America. I have oh, no. like cadavery white feet. It looks like I'm like I've I've screwed on a dead person's feet. Um, you know, I've got this farmer's tan, and then the worst one is as I've got the golf polo collar tan. So it's oh, like no. yeah, it's like there's a triangle that goes to mid chest, and then everything else oh. is white. And it's yeah, it's um. My girlfriend, it, it's not that I don't want to go to the beach. It's just that she won't go to the beach with me. I, I don't blame her, and I think if she was listening, she has turned on classic rock by yes, now because yes. that was horrible. <laughs> she actually nicknamed the, them the cadaver feet, so that 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 one's on her. It's not on me. Um, so, Mike, let's let's talk oh, some my. ball, um, and obviously the 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 season predictions and everything that's going into this year. And we'll start with the Bills. Um, so, inside this great almanac of yours that you and the team over at Football Outsiders came up with. A lot of this will go over what they did the previous year and kind of trying to project using advanced analytics for the yes. you know for this upcoming season. Where did you guys maybe predictably fall with this Bills team as being you know are, is this to you guys and your projections and everything that you guys do to put these projections together? Is this team as you know big of a Super Bowl contender as it seems like every? publication, TV show, NFL Live, ESPN, NFL Network, everyone's sort of just penciling the Bills in as the team to beat um, as a Super Bowl contender. Is that where you guys landed as well? Yes. Yes. I almost feel like I wish I had like some super contrary take that could rile up <laughs> Buffalo Bills fans. Like, we got to get this book so that we can, you know, buy it and then burn it or, or you know, come after these guys on Twitter or something like that. But we're in the same place. I'll give you like a quick outline right now. We have the Bills with the projected to have the third-best offense, the fourth-best defense, the fourth-best special teams, which is a little surprising to me since you're changing punters, et cetera. And all of that, the third, fourth, fourth, comes out to be number one 
overall because no team is that complete. So they're number one projection overall and the top projected team in the NFL. Oh, that seems like a little bit of a pressure, uh, like like a pressure yeah. cooker a little bit, right? There's no there's no good news because you know, if I gave you like a low projection, be like oh, these these guys analysts, what do they know? Screw those guys. But I give you a good one. It's like oh no, now it's all pressure. It's all pressure. Hey, you, you can feel the pressure, fans. You can feel the pressure. What matters is the players feel the pressure. I'm sure they're fine. They're professionals. They're, they 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 were here last year. They got to the AFC Championship. Right. They're, they're they're able to handle the pressure. Yeah, but you know, Mike, I think the interesting thing is thinking about the projections for having an offense, defense, and special teams all in the top five. Um, yeah. I think that's that's pretty rare, um, and and not just from a projection standpoint, but that's it kind of held steady the same way last year. I mean, this was the number one defense in plenty of categories last year. Yeah. This was a top seven offense last year. How many times in you know in your time doing this have you seen a team so competitive on both sides of the ball and be so consistent on both sides of the ball? And frankly, for being the number one defense, Mike. They probably upgraded at four to five positions. You know, the one technique, I think they certainly upgraded at the starting level position with Daquan Jones. I think they upgraded at the the, the depth position with Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips as well. They they go out and they get Von Miller. They go out and draft Kyrie Elam in the first round. Um, like, this is a defense that was great, that was good to, I think, borderline great. There were some things that I think that they left on the field last year, obviously 13 seconds being that. Yeah. But this yeah. is a defense that got better at a number of positions, and they were the number one defense last year in a lot of those categories and that's exactly it so when you're doing the projections you know we start with last year's results and what happens is when you're doing projections sometimes last year's results like statistically they might be a fluke and they might fall back to the pack you know central tendency might come in like oh you got a bunch of turnovers where you know the fumble rolled into the guy's hands etc that wasn't the buffalo defense everything the buffalo defense was good at last year are the kinds of things that are sustainable you know things in terms of coverage if you keep the same guys in coverage mostly etc things in terms of the team pass rush if you keep most of the same pass rushers and add guys so you start with last year saying this looked like a sustainable defense then you you fix your number one problem is we except for the fact that we were short a cornerback so you bring a yep. cornerback in and that solves the problem even though he's a rookie he's not being counted on to be the one shut down go-to guy you add a von miller so you say well is the pass rush that good or was it like eight different guys and you're playing the Jets a lot. Well, now you got Von Miller that answers that. So you put those things in. And again, also, part of the projection isn't just the Bills when we talk about ranking, but we talk about other teams. Did other teams make these kind of improvements? And certainly a few did, but the few that did were nowhere near the Bills. So you hold on to guys, you sustain the things you're saying that you get better, and the teams you're facing don't get better. And that's why you, how you wind up staying sort of in the top five, top four in defense. Football Outsiders here, uh, Mike Tanier joining me on the Western Hotline talking about the new Football Outsiders Almanac, uh, which you can check out. I'll make sure that Mike drops the link here, um, and then I'll make sure I, I toss it out on my Twitter as well for people that are interested uh, in grabbing it. Um, I, Von Miller's the interesting maybe building point here of this conversation, Mike. And, you know, I found it to be a move that maybe – Somehow a six-year, $120 million. Now, that isn't the actual contract number. Yeah. That's not what he's going to be paid. But it's nice for the agent and for the player and for headlines to say that, you know, the Bills signed uh, Von Miller to a six-year, $120 million contract. That's effectively not going to be what the number is. But I, I, I do feel, other than the, the number, 
there hasn't been a lot of discussion. There hasn't been a lot about talk and hype around the move. And this is a Bills team that for the last two years, Brandon Bean has walked up to that podium after the season and said, you know, I really wouldn't expect us to be big players in free agency. It's just not our style. We're going to, we're going to, you know, responsibly spend. And then, you know, the first opportunity to get a Hall of Fame edge rusher, you know, Brandon Bean took the opportunity to do it. But there hasn't been that talk. Um, I'm wondering where your projections maybe have Von Miller going into this season. Now, seeing him in the playoffs, he really stepped his game up. He had Aaron Donald in the same defensive line, but let's let's not pretend that this is the same player that was in the 2015 Super Bowl and was an MVP level caliber player. That's not him anymore. But I still think that's okay, Mike. Yeah, and we don't do individual player sack projections. So we don't, you know, we will look and say, okay, it's going to be a top ten pass rush. It's going to be a top five pass rush for the Buffalo Bills, and that's where we're going to put it. But we're not going to say, yeah, well, it's Von Miller because he's going to get 12 sacks. You're right, he probably won't. And also, you know how it is with pass rush, where one guy flushes it into the other guy. And when you have coming from all angles, and you've got all of these you know, prospects, and you've got Russo, and you've got Basham, and you've still got Epinesa who's going to play a role, et cetera. And then you've got guys in the interior. You don't know where the sacks are going to come from. But everything that we see says that he's going to be this guy. You know, there's a lot to unpack. You're right, there's been no chatter. I think the teams that need chatter from their edge rushers they're talking about them and the bills don't need that but you did mention the salary and you and you know what the, the thing is now's the time now's the time to spend for the bills like i, I don't even blink at what the, the number is etc when you're in that super bowl window in yeah. the middle of it in the midst of it if you have to pay two years down the road three years down the road you do it so i'm not worried about that but the bottom line is it really is going to be a significant upgrade he's still playing at a very high level probably as high a level as Chandler Jones is playing and Raiders fans are acting like they got a 25 sack guy or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's just that you have the luxury of saying, Hey, yeah. On, you know, first and 10, when we're up by two scores, we don't need you out there, Vaughn. We can put up an ace or somebody out there. We can keep you fresh for third and 10 in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and I do think the bills do have that. And this is a, this is an organization, but frankly, Sean McDermott, if you go back even to his time as defensive coordinator in Carolina, mm-hmm. They're rotating edge players. They're rotating yeah. interior defensive line. Even his best players, historically, aren't playing more than 55, 56, 57% of the snaps. And I think that yeah. is for a reason. And, and as much as you or Von Miller at this point in your career, you're probably saying to Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, like, listen, that, that, that ain't me. I'm not on a pitch count. <laughs> I think he will be early on in the season. I think you're right. He's going to be a guy that up in games is going to basically only see third down pass rushing. That's going to give yeah. guys like Boogie Basham. That's going to give guys, to your point, like A.J. Epines and even Shaq Lawson, who is back in this program, opportunities to get meaningful snaps, but I think keeping him around 50-55% of the snaps this year is a recipe to elongating that career a little bit longer. And when you talk about guys who are mentors, and sometimes you bring the veteran in and it's just a mercenary, I think even casual fans know Von Miller's been running camps for other edge rushers for years. Like, he has them all over and they do these edge rush drills. You know he's going to be doing that with the younger players. Dan Pompey for the Athletic did a really big feature on Von Miller and all of his goals and all the things he did for young Broncos players over the years. So you're going to get an added thing. Or This guy's mentality is, I will do tutorials for Boogie. I will do tutorials for Rousseau and teach them some of the secret sauce type things in addition to what he does there. So when you do bring in those rotations, it's a lot of guys who are working together and have kind of been feeding off each other. All right, so what I'm most interested in, and this is the only way that people are going to really spend money on this almanac. So Uh does it handicap for first-time play callers that used to be special teams coaches. Because if it doesn't, Mike, then I don't want it! 
<laughs> and handicaps for new coordinator. Not, not to the level you're saying there because that's weird. Oh, and, and by the way, if it was handicapping for first-time uh, play callers who used to be special teams coaches, it has to also handicap, yeah, for all the things that were going on with the, with the Patriots. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, because it's not just that. It's Patricia as well, et cetera. So uh, if you're asking about the Patriots, yes, they I do – yeah, they, they do have uh, the fact that it's a new coordinator in there, but it's just the new coordinator number, not, oh, my God, it's Joe Judge, and he hands off on first and second down. Sure. <laughs> and, of course, you've got Ken Dorsey coming in, so you have a yeah, – I, I, right. I believe he's a first-time play yep. caller. But uh, So you do get the same variable. Like, you get a bump. It's like you lost your offensive coordinator. That's the thing. It is different just from an outside-of-the-projection standpoint saying, oh, but it's somebody coming in from the system who's kind of been moving up through the ranks as opposed to this thing that's going on with the New England Patriots. Yeah, and, and I, I am sort of – like, where you guys are projecting the Dolphin and and, and Patriot race in here, like, are, are, are you guys of the mind that even though the moves of, you know, going out and getting Tyreek Hill, going out and getting, um, you know, Taron Armstead, like, those are great moves. Don't get me wrong. But I, I am wondering, like – is that enough in a season to overtake the Patriots? And, you know, in, in your projections right now, is are the Patriots still getting that nudge as being the, the team that's maybe the most favored to be in second place in this division? They're, they're still favored in second place. Both teams are hovering around 500. Both are close. Looking over the Patriots' projection, an average offense. Again, we can't really put a Joe Judge variable or a Matt Patricia variable in there. Uh, uh, a below-average defense because of all the guys they've lost. Yeah. And – outstanding special teams, the second-ranked special teams, and that might be where that little bit of that Patriot special sauce kicks in, sure. where you know that the 45th guy on the bench or whoever is going to be great at hustling on special teams, so they get that. Uh, Miami, we have their defense falling off a little bit, their offense being closer to average because of their additions. Uh, and uh, one thing about both of those teams, the, the Dolphins have the second-hardest schedule yes, they for do. our projections. Uh, the uh, the Patriots are 10th, and the Buffalo Bills are 11th. And, you know, why is the Dolphins' schedule so much harder? Because they have to play the Bills. Because they yep. have to play the Patriots in particular, where it's a wash when those two play each other. But they get a benefit from playing the Dolphins. And that gives you a sense of, like, where the gap is in terms of quality, particularly between, like, the Dolphins and the Bills right now. Yeah, and, and I'm, that kind of leads me to where you guys are on this New York Jets team. Because, yeah. You know, this is a this is a team, this is an organization that I, I do think was a lit under a little bit of pressure to hit a home run in the draft. And we're not going to know whether or not it's a true home run for, as Marv Levy likes to, used to say, like by year three, you know about a, a draft class. And yeah. let, no one is as patient as, as Marv Levy was in 1990. So let's not pretend that anyone is going to get three years to actually show what they are as a prospect. Yeah. But yeah. I am wondering overall, like how much rookie impact can have. And, and when you're trying to project, that might be easily the hardest thing you have to project, right, is rookie impact. It is. And, for example, one of the things we learned is at wide receiver, the Jets had a Garrett Wilson at wide receiver as one of their guys. It's almost like a year two impact. You almost have to, you know, Jamar Chase aside, uh, you almost have to say that guy is only going to be more than just like any guy you would get off the bench. Sure. That happens in his second year, not the first year. And another position where that, tends to happen is cornerback, where the rookie cornerback, even if he's a great rookie cornerback, it usually means he stinks for the first four games. Oh, my God, now I know what this is about. And then he's pretty good by the last four games, and then he's a pro bowler in his second season. That could be Sauce Gardner there. So there's a lot of that when you look at the at the Jets uh, team. And that's different from a projection standpoint analytically from the – they added dudes. 
They had a lot of dudes. They had dudes I loved watching college. One of them has a cool nickname. Let's let's move them up. So you know we have we have around a seven win projection for this team. They they've gotten better at a lot of positions. It's a, it's arguable that, that there's more talent there. But I think people start getting like on a little train, a little snowball with the Jets, and you get like more and more and more excited about this team. And when you look at it, really, you look at how far they had to go last year to be even competent, and you look at what they're trying to project it to. Still a last place team, just a last place team that's more likely to be competitive sure. week in, week out, week out than they were, especially last September and October when they were really a mess. So the other team I'm really interested in kind of knowing about here, uh, we won't give away all of your team profiles, but the yeah. Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And I think everyone continues to look at the AFC West and the team like every single year that everyone loves the Chargers. It doesn't matter what decade it is. It doesn't matter what year. It doesn't matter who's at the coach, who plays a quarterback. They are always everyone's darling right now, the 16th of July. So let's put that aside for a moment, and let's talk about the Chiefs and how much their numbers were affected from last year to this year based Mm -hmm. on the loss of Tyreek Hill. You know what? They went from having a historic like greatest show on turf, we, we talk about it for 100 years offense, to a very, very good offense. The Chiefs still have a very high offensive projection right now. They went from a historically comical, I can't believe that they're trying to make the playoffs with this defense defense, which is what they had at times last year. Sometimes it was pretty good, but sometimes it was historically bad, to just a, let's call it a rebuilding defense. Okay, so like now they have a defense that's probably going to be like, like in the bottom of the pack, but that's because they have so many young talent. You put it all together, and we have a Kansas City Chiefs team, still a playoff team, but right now they're behind in our projections. Yes, everyone's favorite July 16th contender, the Los Angeles Chargers, (laughs) because because there's no way you can take Tyreek Hill off and replace him with first-round picks, which is great, and say that that's going to be a net positive this year. Yeah, and that that's that rookie. Well, that and Juju Smith-Schuster and, oh my gosh, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. Benjamin Albright was on my show a couple weeks ago, and he had this unbelievable nickname for MVS that that included, you know, something. He 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 logically put dropsies in the middle of his name, and it was unbelievable. Um, but 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 Mike, that AFC West, I mean, it it truly feels like a dog eat dog. It feels yeah. like it, it's the team that it's going to be. You look at that division. If anyone has a winning record in that division. I think that's going to be the de facto first place team, but how do you try to project four teams that are so close? And who do you have in that division finishing last? And if it's last, like it's probably the best last division, last place division team in a long time because that division's just going to be so competent. Was it five hundred going to be the fourth place in that division? Yeah, that's it. We have the the Vegas Raiders around five hundred. You know, eight and eight point six wins as last place and. You know, how we do the projections is it's 10,000 simulations of a season. So, you know, we're, we're not sitting there, like, checking boxes, like, by hand and things like that. We run everything through the computer. We run through it a couple thousand times. And then when there's a major, major trade, we do it again with a different set of guys, et cetera, along the way. So you find out things. For example, the West, they're going to beat each other up. And I don't have their schedules in front of me. But they all kind of have middle-of-the-pack schedules in terms of strength of schedule. Like the, the Chargers' schedules actually comes out as pretty easy. Uh, so I forget, maybe they have the AFC South. I'm not sure what they have there. But you see those things where, you know, this is a bunch of teams that could go 3-3 three and three against each other, uh, but then go 3-1 and one against another division. And that's where you get these divisions where, like, it's not so much everyone's 9-8, and 8-9, eight, eight and nine, but, like, everybody's around 10-7. and seven. Uh, And then it becomes – both of all, you know, injuries and things like that, but also who got 
the easy game along the way? Who who got the break along the way? Last year it was the Raiders. Last year in December, every time a team had a COVID outbreak, it was right before they faced the Raiders. You know, it was like Al Davis was looking <laughs> looking down from heaven, spraying COVID on teams, like doing some crazy stuff. Uh, granted, that's not what you would do from heaven, but you know, it's Al you, Davis. You he might. Where he is. You might. Yeah, he, he, he's where Al Davis is. He's got his own special place in the good place. Uh, but yeah. Like that kind of thing happens in those tough divisions. That's what it often boils down to. That's what the AFC West might boil down to is who got a break in the schedule or, you know, heaven forbid, we don't hope this, who had an injury rash. So, Mike, uh, tell the folks where they can find the Almanac, uh, you know, a link. I'm, I'm going to post a link here uh, momentarily, but tell the folks where they can find it, what uh, what to expect, and, and all that good jazz after we just spent uh, like a half hour talking through it. <laughs> well, first of all, you can find it on Amazon. You go Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 and pop it up. It's easier, though, to go to footballoutsiders.com, and there's a big old link. And click the link, and you'll go there, and you'll have the Amazon link if you want to go through that. You can get it as a PDF if you want to do it that way. Uh, you can become an FO Plus subscriber, and then you get like a lot more updates and things throughout the year and access to our uh, exclusive statistical database so you can do all those things. And when you get the book, again, you can get it PDF. You can get it hard copy. I like a hard copy. You're talking about 500 pages. Looks like the old baseball perspectives used to look at the Bill James Baseball Abstract. Nice, thick-as-a-brick book. You can bring it with you anywhere. Full of stats, full of breakdowns, fantasy projections, over-unders, if you're the wagering type, you can go in there and, and, and start making your uh, your futures bets now. And something for every kind of NFL fan. All right, Mike, I appreciate you, buddy. Enjoy your uh, your weekend. Enjoy your family trip coming up. And uh, we'll yes. chat uh, as we get closer to the season. And, uh, you know, preseason football. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, those Bills games are going to be extra exciting without everybody drinking Kool-Aid on the sideline. Can't wait for Matt Barkley and for yes. for Case Keenum. You know, like that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, you don't even get like some fun rookie. Yeah, you get the the, the, the Case Keenum experience. The, the old the old vets, the wily vets. That's right, my friend. <laughs> Enjoy it. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you, Mike Tanier There of Football Outsiders on the Western Hotline. We're going to take a time out on the other side. We're going to chat with Paul Hamilton. Uh, he uh, Don Granado just met with the media, so maybe a couple minutes. Uh, but we'll chat with Paul. Uh, he just texted me that we're finished. So talk about great timing. We'll have Paul Hamilton coming up next year on WGR. It's Paul Hamilton. That's what they called me in college. It's the bone. He has the facts to back up his opinions. People ask me, well, how are the Sabres going to win tonight? I don't have a clue. On WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, on the West Her Hotline, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk Saturday, Nate Geary here. Joining us live from Harbor Center, we've got Paul Hamilton. Paul, I'm going to ask you all the hard-hitting questions today. No <laughs> softballs. I've heard you all week. Bulldog teeing you up. Easy questions. You're not getting that from me, man. <laughs> so uh, I'm ready. So did you did you have fun? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know me. I mean, uh, hockey in July. That's let's, right. Let, let's get it on. Let's do it. I'm Now I'm sad that it's over, and now we have, have to wait for another couple months before we're, we're going to be doing hockey again. But even the last two weeks, you know, to be involved in the draft, being in Montreal, that was for the first time in three years that we're all together for the draft. There was so much excitement in Montreal, and now the first time in three years we were all together for a development camp. And again, there was just a lot of excitement, whether it was from, you know, the fans or the players, the coaches, I'll even say the media. I mean, it's just fun to be around. You know, we can actually talk with players, and you you don't have to be all masked up or be on Zoom or, you know, everything. And it's just the, the, the... 
little bit of normals, normalcy that we just keep getting back has been great. Yeah, and the reason I asked you about the fun level, Paul, because you know, you watch all these highlights on Twitter, you see the Sabres Twitter feed dropping these these videos of guys on breakaways, the Devin Levi save, which just looked absurd. Um, I, I get the sense, Paul, that part of the fun, especially maybe for fans over the last couple of days, is this doesn't really feel like the standard development camp. It, it kind of reminds me of the Eichel first development camp, right? They packed the house for that for that scrimmage, but it was all to see Eichel, right? And and the high level of skill. He, he definitely separated himself from the other guys on the ice. Paul, it felt like there was a number of guys that I watched make plays with the puck in their hand and said, um, there is a high level of skill at this at this particular development camp, Paul. But it's not from one guy. It's five, six, seven guys that you're saying those are NHL-level moves. Those are skill levels that you didn't necessarily think you'd see this early in camp. Absolutely. And, and you're right. With, and even during the practice sessions, everybody came to see Eichel. And, you know, the place was packed. And they were packed for every session this week, too. The fans are are excited about this team. And, Nate, it's, it's, it's weird. I, I was on... Uh, Andrew Peters podcast with him and and I said you know what and I'm being serious about this this is the first time since and I said to Andrew since you were a player on this team that I'm actually getting fans walking up to me in a positive fashion excited about the team in a positive fashion and not basically swearing about the team and going crazy about (laughs) nobody knows what they're doing and this is ridiculous fire everybody and you know the, the thing that we've I've listened to basically since Briere, Drury, <laughs> and I laughed <laughs> since the Briere, Drury, and Peters era. <laughs> you know what I'm on with Andrew. So uh, yeah, and uh, so and that's what we're seeing. I mean, we saw it last year in April where more people started coming to the arena, filling up the 300 level, saying, "You know what? Is this real? I want right. to see a little more of this. Let me see if if this is real that, that we're looking at here." And you know, now now the talent level that you come out here, and no matter what session you came to, Portillo and Levi put on an absolute show. I mean, these are two really, really good goaltenders. And, um, I, you know, I, I just – I'm sorry to the people that want to go get Gibson for six years <laughs> and, and, and everything and don't want to listen to Adams when he says he's not going to get in their way. And if you had any doubt, just come – too bad you didn't come watch this because you wouldn't have had any doubt why he's staying out of the way of his young goaltenders because I I, I, I don't know. I just don't think – I think it would be – I'd be shocked if one of the three don't become a bona fide number one NHL goaltender, and quite honestly, I think more than one of the three will. Well, now you could say four if you want to add Lennon in. Yeah, right. And, Paul, I think that's obviously one of the most – it's an easy position to look at because they're by themselves, they're sitting in a goal, and everything, all eyes can be on the player. Whereas in a three-on-three or in a five-on-five format, you know, when you're trying to watch one guy, your attention can quickly turn to other players with the puck, right? So, like, but in goal, all eyes on you. And to see some of the saves, to see the subtle comfort that Devin Levi already has in a developmental camp, I think has to be really promising if you're Kevin Adams. Now, I think Kevin Adams had a pretty good idea of what he was going to see from Devin Levi, and I think Portillo's the same thing here. But, Paul, like, if you are Kevin Adams, I know you're looking forward to the season and you bring in Eric Conrad. Like, you've got goaltenders in the system now that you feel like you can roll out. 
But, man, I got to feel like he went into this camp really happy about where he was with his goaltending position in, in the organization as it stands. But I got the feeling he probably leaves this camp feeling a whole lot better than he did walking into it. And even in this three-on-three that we watched, they went up against each other twice, once in the round robin and then once, uh, you know, in the uh, as they played for the championship. Or they didn't actually play for the championship. Or in the, they went at each other in the, um, uh, yeah, Perot, Hashik in the semifinals. Both were 0-0 at the end of regulation, both games, and then went to a shootout. So it just showed you when they right. were head-to-head against each other. Good luck. The, the competitive juices were flowing and great saves were being made. Remember, this is three-on-three, three, so it wasn't just let's do the left-wing lock and the goaltenders will have an easy time. No, they're, they're getting one-timers that they have to get across on. They're getting breakaways. They're getting Jack Quinn coming down the slot. You know, they're getting all this stuff, and and you won't see a better save than early on, and I retweeted it out. It might have been Levi's. It was, I think, his first shootout save on Quinn. It was just Quinn is a great shootout player, mm. and he, it looked like he had deked Levi right out of his jockstrap. It looked like it was an easy goal. He somehow got back and got the glove on it. I, I, I still don't know how. It was just an absolute – it's the best save you're going to see. I mean, it was just a, a phenomenal save that he made on a, on a guy who is one of the best shootout players you're going to see. And, uh, you know, that just got it going. And Pertillo winds up winning the whole thing. And if you were going to give an MVP – I was kidding on the on Twitter. I said, well, when they have the Con Smythe, I'll give the Rob Ray MVP award for the three-on-three. <laughs> and it would have to be Portillo. He won the thing. Wow. You know, he backstopped his team to, to, to the championship and won the thing. If you ask, Levi probably had the better saves throughout, but they both were really good. Yeah. I mean, it, it was – I mean, the goaltending in, in Buffalo, I believe, is in very good hands. Yeah, I mean, listen, let, let's talk about some guys that are maybe closer to making some level of impact in the NHL. But even before I do that, the the quote, right? I mean, you hear Yuri uh, Kulich, the, the Sabres' 28th overall pick, third first-round pick of this last draft a couple of weeks ago, talk about how he wants to play in the NHL. He expects to play in the NHL this year, Paul. Now, my expectations maybe aren't as high as, as, as Kulich has for himself, but if he wanted to set a precedent, if he wanted to set the expectations for not just himself to be in the NHL, but for the organization to expect that he was going to be in the NHL, I don't think he hurt himself this week. And you definitely, and, and there are some members of the media, and, and myself included, where you thought to yourself, how, why was he still sitting there at 28 with the talent you saw in this tournament, going against guys his own age, but still. I mean, some of the goals he scored, the hands he has, just the overall package that he has, it's like, wow, this is a good hockey player. And now I see why he's so confident in himself, comparing himself to Pasternak and Matthews, and which and I'll keep saying I'm fine with. I like the confidence. Me too. And, um, you know, it, it, just to see him out there and, you know, I, he's not going to make the Sabres this no. year. But still, I mean, he, he showed that, let's say for some reason, they absolutely had to have him for whatever reason. He, I don't think he would embarrass himself if he wind up, wound up on the Sabres. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't be good for his development right now. You know, he'll probably wind up in junior next year. But 
Um, just to see a guy like him and, and, you know, what he would be able to do. Austin scores the first goal of the tournament. I, I, he's in, he's in, the, uh, in the circle with a huge one-timer, and, and, you know, he scores on, on that. Of course, Savoy wasn't on the ice because of an injury. But, you know, to see those young guys do that and, uh, you know, just, just to show that it's not – let's not just talk about uh, Krebs and, and uh, those guys and Portillo and that, that group. The, the, Paterka, Quinn, there's some other guys here. Rusick, again, I loved him in the playoffs last year. You know, he didn't get a lot of ice time at forward, but yet he still got enough off ice time to score two or three very big goals for Rochester mm. in those playoff series. And he missed most of the year with a knee injury. Now we're talking about a sixth-round pick who has really turned into a very good prospect and had a couple of goals in this in, in this three-on-three. Uh, three. And, you know, watching them all throughout the, uh, throughout the week, they've got a prospect here. they got a guy who I think can make an impact mm. on the Sabres, not next year, but but at some point, it's not just the name guys that are good. They've got some other guys that they've drafted in other rounds that are. Josh Bloom is another one. Yep. That that's that's very good. From Saginaw, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and he had a good he had a good week uh, sitting here. Unfortunately, we weren't able to see um, Nadeau. He was injured, but the the improvement that he's made in just a year. You know, uh, since he's been drafted, has been just staggering. And, you know, these are guys that are a little bit further down in the draft. Right. You know, so uh, it, it's just great to see. Uh, and, and, again, that's been a lot of the problem the last couple of years. I mean, all right, yeah, you got Eichel. And you, you, you hit on some of your number one picks, not named Nylander. But <laughs> you got to hit on some other ones. Yeah. You can't just go over the draft once you get past your first-round pick. I mean, that year, uh, they, that one year, uh, they had three second-round picks. Nothing. Nothing. And you can't build a team that way if you're missing on that many picks. And, Paul, I, I think there's going to be NHL teams that look back at the 2021 draft and say, well, what could have been? We didn't have enough information. We had guys that didn't play in a season. And that year of development is a huge thing. But... I think you, you look at the Sabres, I mean, how about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 picks in that 2021 draft, and you're looking down the lineup, you're looking at the third round, you're looking at Bloom, you're looking at Nudeau, like you're looking at some of these names, and you're saying to yourself, this doesn't even count the guys that they've got in Russia, right? The, their, their two second round picks, the, the Pelpatov, Pelpapov and Kizikov. Like, this is an organization that might look at the 2021 draft and talk about it a few years down the line on how it moved this organization forward. And I don't know that there's going to be a lot of organizations that can say the same thing about that draft. Let me bring up another name, Tyson Kozak. Michael Pecka was talking about him yesterday. He goes, I, he goes I'll be honest with you, I didn't know anything about Michael Kozak when, or, or Tyson Kozak when he showed up here. Nothing. He said, and I sat here and watched him this week, he goes, it's amazing. He goes, he looks to me like a, se- a first a first or a second or third round pick. He goes, he doesn't look like a guy who was a lower round pick. He goes, the maturity that he shows and the talent that he has and, and the way he's come along. I mean, just another guy who had just a good camp, scored a goal today. And uh, just another name from that you don't normally hear about that, you know, has a chance with the Sabres or maybe another organization 
you know, the down the line that is, is showing, well, you know, maybe he should have been drafted higher. Paul, uh, the two guys I kind of wanted to end it, uh, to end our conversation around were Jack Quinn and, and J.J. Paterka, you know, two guys from the 2020 draft in the first and second round. And, you know, hearing Michael Pekka talk about John, uh, J.J. Paterka the way that he did, um, I guess isn't necessarily a surprise, especially if you've been following Paterka, especially his his last year um, in, in, in Rochester. And obviously Quinn kind of had the early start to the season, an injury here in Buffalo, gets his first NHL goal here in Buffalo, but then kind of struggled in the playoffs a little bit. But, man, when you watched Quinn and Paterka out there in any highlight, they looked like they were sort of far and away pulling away talent-wise, like almost like this should probably be their last development camp. Like both guys look poised and ready to take the step at the next level. What have you seen this week that maybe gives you the confidence that each of those guys are going to be mainstays in this lineup next year? Oh, they're head and shoulders above the other guys that are here, but they should be. You know, So they basically were f- fulfilling the role that they should have fulfilled uh, as you see them. Unfortunately, as you look at the Sabres, I don't see room right now for both of them. I only see room for one of them. Only because there's room for both of them if you want to stick one out there with Gergensen's and Oposo. But I don't, not, and I'm not insulting those two teams, but I, when you're a top six talented goal scoring guy, that's not the line I think you should be on. That The energy line, I think you, you should be in the top six. So I would see one making the team, maybe one going back, and if you get an injury in your top six, you bring them right back and, and, and put them in your lineup that way. Um, and it, you talked about Michael Pekka talking about Paterka, and his comment was he has no idea how good he is. None. He said he doesn't have a clue how good he is and how good he's going to be. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of cool to hear that too, that, you know, it's not an arrogant guy. You know, it's not an entitled guy, which we had a lot of those for the past uh, X amount of years around here that, you know, just thought they were they were they were it and they were entitled and, and everything. And that didn't quite work out here in Buffalo. Um, but to hear that as such a talented player who has come so far since the Sabres have drafted him, yeah. he was good anyway then. But he's come so far. As as Michael said, he goes, I didn't think when he came down we'd have him killing penalties. He goes, I didn't dream of that. He goes, guess what? He was killing penalties hmm. by the end of the year. He goes, that's a trust that we had in him. He goes, that's the work that he put in to being a better hockey player. And uh, so when you hear like things like that, that a, a really talented hockey player is probably going to score goals in the National Hockey League, doesn't even know how good he is. <laughs> I mean, that just goes to show you right there. Like I said, Paul, no softballs, and I'm going to end it on a tough one here. If you've got, a, if you're looking at the two right now, Quinn and Paterka, and use what you say, I think is actually right. Like I don't think you to, to set up JJ Paterka or Jack Quinn in their first full season in the NHL on the fourth line with Gergensen's with a post. So that's not exactly going to set either guy up for success. So if one guy starts the year here in Buffalo, which of those two do you believe it is based on what you've seen? I think it's Quinn. I, I have some lines in my in my head. Uh, people don't understand the value that Asplund has, and all you have to yep, look is how good how good Dylan Cousins was last year in the last month, month and a half, and he played most of that month and a half with Asplund. And Asplund really had a tough middle of the season. He wasn't himself. He wasn't that two-way player. He was giving the puck away a lot. And then he actually said he started like doing the things that Oposo did, coming to the rink, going through a – you know, watching what he does, and he, he became Asplund again, and he made Cousins a better player. So 
people who think, well, just take Asplund out of the lineup. No, that's not a good idea. You can't just have a bunch of 40 goal scorers. Right. You have to have, you know, different types of players, and they work. With, so I see maybe Quinn maybe being with those guys because mm. you have Skinner and Thompson and Olison. You have Krebs and Tuck and Middlestad on the left. You've got the line we already talked about with Gergensen, Zaposo, and probably Henestrosa. Uh So that's the way I see it where, you know, Cousins, Asplund, and Quinn. I think Quinn maybe is a little more polished. Actually, last year, had Quinn not gotten hurt here up in the NHL, I think he would have stayed here for a while. I do, too. Same thing with Lukanen. Yep. Had Lukanen not gotten hurt, I believe Lukanen would have been their goaltender for the rest of the year, unless he really faltered, which didn't appear that he was going to. Uh, And I think Quinn might have been in that same boat. He played well enough that I think he would have stayed. He would have stayed for a while and maybe stayed for the rest of the year. All right, Paul. Thank you so much, my friend. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, if you're hitting up the Italian Fest like I am later, I'm, I, I am going to eat so much Italian sausage. So uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe I'll turn into one, I hope. Um, but thank you, Paul. Hey, appreciate you, my friend. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk soon. You too, and enjoy the Italian Fest. Will do, my friend. Paul Hamilton there on the Wester Hotline. Uh, great, as always. Going to take a time out. We've got another one to get to as well. And DJ Bienemy of ESPN is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Houston Texans. A weird uh, weird week for them. We'll talk about this season outlook. Davis Mills, fantasy implications. All that's coming up next year on WGR. All right, my favorite little short sec- uh, segment here on Sports Talk Saturday. If you missed any of our first two hours, Mike Tanier this hour... Also had Paul Hamilton just previously. Go to WGR550.com, on-demand audio. Check it out there. Hour 1, Matt Perino joined. So if you missed any of that, we will have it up at the website or the app, wherever you uh, get your on-demand audio. So I'm going to take a time out on the other side. DJ Bienemy, the newest ESPN Texans reporter, is going to join us to talk about the Texans' upcoming season. Uh, Davis Mills, uh, Marlon Mack. He's, he's a running back there now. They've got John Mechie. Really like him a lot. We're going to talk about this up-and-coming Texans team upcoming up next year with DJ Enemy of ESPN on WGR.